0: So, uh, if you're joining us online, and um, or if you're watching this later, um, I'm TC, I'm the pastor of Roots Covenant Church. We are a four-year-old church plant in St. Paul, and we gather on Lexington Avenue at Central Lutheran School, typically, in the gymnasium. But, this is not a typical Sunday, um, blizzard of 2018, in mid-April, so... Uh, we're here, but uh, a little bit about us. Um, we are a community of misfits on a mission. That's uh, like that's how we like to describe ourselves, and uh, <laughs> and we like to say that um, we are a called to be a new people, rooted in Christ, who passionately love God and purposefully seek the renewal of our city. That's our that's our vision. Uh, so that's a little bit about who we are, and. Uh, Last week, I kicked off a new teaching series that I'm really excited about. Uh, this teaching series is called Swimming Lessons, a deep dive into culture. And so this metaphor of, uh, of water as culture, um, it's, it's an old metaphor, but I'll tell you where sort of it began for me is uh, David Foster Wallace gave a very famous convincing, uh, commencement address at Kenyon College um, I'm not sure what year it was but several years ago and he told this joke about uh, two fish swimming by an older fish and the older fish says to the two fish uh, hey boys how's the water today and the two fish continue swimming on until one of them eventually says what's water and so this analogy of water and culture is that sometimes we're so immersed in culture um, so inundated with it that we rarely recognize the ways in which it is influencing us, ways in which it's forming us. And so in this series we want to talk about how culture is influencing us. We want to talk about, we want to see the water that we're swimming in. And uh, the reason why we want to do this is real specific. Uh, Number one, the first reason is that we want to be formed by the Jesus way. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, we want to be formed by His way. And that means that we want to be aware of the ways that we're being malformed by ways that aren't Jesus' way. We want to repent of those ways. So it's important for us to know the water that we're swimming in. Secondly, uh, we are an intentionally multi-ethnic church. We're intentionally multicultural. Uh, We we want to be a community that's uh, uh, inclusive. And so we want to love one another. Uh, as Jesus commanded us. And in order to love one another in a multi-ethnic, multicultural setting, we have to learn how to navigate the different uh, cultural waters that we're swimming in. Uh, So that's really important. So this swimming lessons uh, series is going to be a deep dive into culture. What is culture? How does culture work? How's it supposed to work? How does it um, begin to work improperly? How does it improperly form us? How does it malform us? And so that's some, some of the things we're going to be talking about. Uh, I won't be the only one talking about this in this series. Um, Oshida is going to be speaking in this series. Um, we've got some guest speakers coming down the pike. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. I don't have precise dates lined up for those, but it will be, it will be a very uh, interesting series. Uh, so last week, let me, let me recap. Last week, what we did was we laid a biblical foundation for this series. want to make sure that this is grounded rooted in uh, the scriptures and rooted in the teachings of Jesus and so last week we talked about Genesis chapters 2 and 3 particularly chapter 2 so in chapter 2 God is creating uh, this new world and the sort of pinnacle of the creation is the creation of humanity and in the garden there is a particular culture that God cultivates and uh, a particular calling that God gives humanity. And so we talked about what's called the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate is this blessing from God. Uh, Every human being, men and women, are created in the image of God. And this image of God uh, is not just an attribute that we possess, or it shouldn't be primarily understood that way, but this image of God is primarily a calling that we are blessed with. And so God blesses humanity and calls humanity to be stewards of the creation. I like the way that N.T. Wright typically puts this. He, he puts this like, um, we are called to, to reflect into the world God's loving reign, and he says, to gather up the praises of creation and give them to God. I like the way that N.T. Wright speaks. He's British, so it's fun. Uh, so that's kind of our original calling, is to be these, these representatives of God on earth. And then, of course, in chapter two, we see that um, God gives humanity this, this calling, places them in the garden. And I talked about how this calling, it, it rests on both men and women. The image of God, the cultural mandate is for both men and women. So I talked about how uh, it's important that we, we recognize patriarchy in our culture, in the cultures that the water that we swim in. Um, uh, I talked about how, you know, in a lot of ways, culture is the first way that teaches us how to relate to one another, men and women. and uh, Culture tells us how we're to see one another, the roles that we're to play, so gender roles is a big part of that. So I talked about how the image of God in Genesis is a reflection of the plurality and the unity of God's self, and that's reflected in men and women representing this diversity and this unity, and that this is something to celebrate. Diversity and unity in God's creation is, is something to be celebrated. And uh, patriarchy places men over women in an in a authoritative, in an abusive sort of uh, in way. And that goes against the sense of shared calling and shared reflection of God's image that's reflected in the text. So, talked about that. And then finally, we talked about how the beginning of chapter 3 in Genesis, there's a little glimpse of some of the culture of the garden. Uh, and that's found in, in verse three, verse, uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 8, just the beginning of it. It talks about how um, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day with humanity. And what I said about this is that this is a little glimpse of shalom. Shalom is that Hebrew concept that is so rich and so beautiful that I talk about it all the time. Uh, it's something that grounds us in the way the world ought to be. Shalom typically gets translated peace but it's, it's deeper than that. Shalom is about wholeness. It's about right-relatedness. It's about uh, the different ways in which um, we are right-related to God, we are rightly related to one another, rightly related to the creation, rightly re- re- related within ourselves. And so it's this multi-dimensional thing. Now The way that God walking in the garden reflects this shalom is that there's no barrier. There's no separation. God is just there walking in the garden with humanity. There's nothing in between. And in fact, the text says that humanity was naked. So there's this openness, this transparency between God and humanity. This is a little picture of shalom, a little glimpse of shalom. Now, that was the setup for last week. Kind of lay the groundwork. So, the cultural mandate, God blesses humanity uh, with this calling uh, to be stewards of the creation, to reflect His loving reign into the creation, to gather up the praises of creation, give them to God. There's that celebration of unity and diversity in the, in the image of God, and then lastly, there's this picture of Shalom. That's the garden culture. Now, this week, we're planning, I was planning, to talk about how culture can become corrupt Culture can get twisted, and culture can become an, a corrupting influence on us. We can become corrupting in our influence on others, and others can have a corrupting influence on us. And so, how does this how does this show up into the text? So, this morning, I wanted to read from chapter three. Actually, I'm going to start in chapter two, and I'm going to read from uh, the uh, the CEB, the Common English Bible. Because I like how it renders some of the gender neutral stuff in this text. When we start talking about Adam uh, you know, you can get into this language of man uh, being translation of Adam, but uh, I like it when it's translated humanity. It's very, it's very gender inclusive. So, chapter 2. I'm going to read a few verses from, from 8 and 9, 15, 16, and 17. If you have a translation of the Bible that, you're welcome, that you like to use, you're welcome to use that, uh, or you can just listen to, to me read it. So, starting in verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the human he had formed, verse 9, in the fertile land the Lord God grew every beautiful tree with edible fruit, and also he grew the tree of life in the middle of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded the human, eat your fill of all the garden's trees, but do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day that you eat from it, you will die. So, there in the garden, we talked about garden culture, there in the garden, there are two trees, and these two trees are very symbolic so you have the tree of life and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and God has created all kinds of trees and blessed humanity to to share in the fruit to eat of all the edible trees but something else that we we have to uh, ground our understanding of culture in ground our, our biblical narrative the story in is this understanding of God's love for humanity So. Uh, Earlier I talked about how God gives this cultural mandate and God gives uh, humanity this calling to steward creation. But all of this, all of this narrative is in the setting, the unspoken setting of love. God creates humanity, creates this world out of love. Later on in the biblical story, when we get to Jesus in the New Testament, we learn that God is love. And if you want to get real theological here, God creates the world out of the love, out of the overflow of the love that God is. So that's the whole context of this story. God is love, and all of this is rooted in love. Well, here's something fundamental about love. Love requires a choice. Love between persons, love between uh, people, requires choice. So here in the center of the garden, in the center of this story, there there exists a choice. And that choice is the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This is the choice before humanity. Now, last week I mentioned that a big shift happened in my thinking when I went from thinking about the image of God as a... uh, as a attribute that we possess, to thinking about the image of God as a calling with which we are being blessed, right? So that's a big shift in my thinking. Well, in the same way, a big shift in my thinking happened when I started thinking about uh, this, this choice in a different way. I think traditionally, and a lot of times, we're very tempted to think about this choice as a choice between good and evil. As if to say that the problem with humanity is that we choose evil. As if to say that the solution to humanity's problem is good, goodness, choosing good. So good and evil, that's the traditional kind of understanding and I think that that is fundamentally flawed. That is a understanding of this choice that leads a lot of people into moralism, into legalism. Well, if the the solution to the problem is doing good, that I have to follow the law. I have to do the right thing. But that's not the choice that's presented here. The choice that's presented here is between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, I like what what Greg Boyd says about this. I'm just going to read you a quote from a book called Repenting of Religion. He says, We have failed to understand and to internalize the biblical teaching that our fundamental sin is not our evil as if the solution for sin was to become good but our getting life from what we believe is our knowledge of good and evil our found our fundamental sin is that we have placed ourselves in the position of god and divide the world between what we judge to be good what we judge to be evil and this judgment is the primary thing that keeps us from doing the central thing, listen to this, that God created and saved us to do, namely, to love as He loves. So this is a huge shift in our thinking. It's not just, we've done evil, we need to do good, or the choices between good and evil. The choices between where are you getting life? Are you getting life from God? Are you sharing in the love of God? And, and reflecting that love into the world as, the, as an image-bearer? Or are you getting life from your ability to judge between good and evil? To be the judge, to place yourself in the role of judge. And This is fundamental. This is crucial to, uh, to our way of being in the world. Human beings were never created to be the arbiters of good and evil. We were created to live in God's love and to eat of the fruit of the tree of life and live eternally in God's love in that unencumbered unmitigated love of God walking with God in the cool of the garden in the cool of the day. That is how we were created to live. But instead what crept in was this knowledge of the tree, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which shorthand for that is just judgment. Judging. Judgment creeped in. People judge one another. Different generations judge one another. You know, uh, there's been a lot of judgment of millennials. You know, you read the news articles. Millennials are being judged. Uh, they're they're the worst generation ever. Doesn't every generation say the next generation after them is the worst generation ever? (laughs) So different generations judge one another. People in cities judge people who live in small towns or rural, and vice versa. Uh, People of different faiths judge one another. People of different political philosophies judge one another. I'm sure you've never experienced that. People of different cultures judge one another. Judgment has creeped into our world and it has driven a wedge between people. It has disrupted that shalom that God intended for the world, right? God intended for the world that people would be rightly related to one another, that people would love one another, and that the diversity of God's creation would be celebrated, right? So shalom is disrupted. Broken by judgment. When we place ourselves in the place of God, in the role of judge, and we divide the world between good and evil. Now, someone's gonna hear me say this and they're gonna say and uh, they're gonna get upset with me. They're gonna they're gonna hear what I didn't say. Uh, what I didn't say was that there's no sin. I didn't say that. I'm not saying there's no sin. I'm not saying there's no evil. There is evil, there is sin. I think we talked about that when I read Psalm 10 and we, we must lament. So what I'm not saying is that we can't call sin, sin. Of course we can. And we should. We should call sin, sin. Here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when Jesus calls out sin, he does it in a different way than we do. Jesus calls out sin in a way that invites people into community, not excludes them and drives them out. Creates a division. Jesus calls out sin in a way that brings us together, that we share in God's grace. So Jesus created a different kind of culture. Let's say, let's call it this, let's say Jesus created a tree of life culture and not a tree of the knowledge of good and evil culture. Or, for shorthand, a judgment culture. Jesus created a love culture. So, Jesus said that we are to consider our sin like a log in our eyes. And we're to consider our sister or brother's sin like a speck. Well, that totally upends the whole judgment thing, right? We're typically putting ourselves in the place of God and judging other people's sins worse than our own. What they do is much worse than what we do. But Jesus calls us to see our own sin as much worse than other people's sin, to judge ourselves first, right? Jesus also says, if you're going to the altar to present a sacrifice to God, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled with the one who has something against you. How weird is that, right? How backwards is that? Somebody has something against me. Shouldn't they bring it to me? Jesus says, no, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to the one that has something against you. Jesus says, love even your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who despitefully use you. This is an upending of our our judgment culture. This is a destruction of our judgment culture. At the heart of the way in which our culture gets corrupted is judgment. Dividing between one another. Dividing the world up between us and them. The us that is righteous and the them that is wicked. That is at the heart of corrupting culture. Let's see how this happened. This happened in chapter 3. In the story of the Bible, here's the moment when it happens. Picking up the story from chapter 3, verse 1, in the Common English Bible Translation, here we go. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say that you shouldn't eat from any of the trees in the garden? The woman said to the snake, We may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, Do not eat from it. Do not touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, You won't die. God knows that on the day you eat from it, you will see clearly, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful and delicious food, with delicious food, and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it, and also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly, and they knew that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During the day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? The man replied, I heard your sound in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. The Lord God said to the woman, What have you done? And the woman said, The snake tricked me and I ate. That's verse 13. So, boy, this story is packed with meaning. Uh, I, could, I could unpack this all day, but I, I just want to draw your attention to a few things. Just a few things. First thing is that what the snake does in this this story is the snake calls into question the character of God. The beginning of corrupting culture is a culture that calls into question the character of God. God has abundantly provided for humanity, but the snake makes it seem like God is holding something back for God's self that God is not abundantly providing, that God is keeping something to God's self instead of of providing for humanity, depriving humanity instead of protecting humanity. That's the first thing you see. The second thing you see is that when the humans believe this lie, they eat the fruit, and the effect is immediate. It says immediately they saw that they were naked, and they hid themselves. Shame enters into the story. The effect of this distortion of God's character, this lie, and believing that lie, shame comes in. Instead of transparency and openness, that judgment enters back in again. And so uh, they hide. Judgment leads to shame, leads to hiding. Judgment comes into the picture, Shame comes into the picture, so we must hide ourselves. Have you ever been a part of a culture? It could be a work culture, a job culture. Um, You know, sometimes it's office culture, right? Or have you ever been a part of a community, a group, any group, um, family life? This happens a lot in family life. Uh, Have you ever been a part of a culture that has judgment at the center of it? What happens... When judgment is at the center of a culture. What happens is shame. Shame enters in. Shame. We feel like uh, we've done something wrong. Uh, I've been labeled. I've been, I've been, uh, the spotlight has been put on me. I've been called out. Judgment leads to shame. And then what happens when you feel ashamed? You hide. I've been a part of uh, cultures office cultures, um, community cultures, just uh, family cultures, where judgment has led to shame, which has led to hiding. And what happens when we hide from one another is we can't love one another. We are holding back that love from one another. We're hiding something. And this this is how culture begins to corrupt us. This is how culture breaks shalom. It disrupts shalom. We are no longer rightly related to one another in openness and transparency and love. Now we are related to one another through this filter of judgment, through the lens of judgment. I am now the arbiter of good and evil. I judge you. You judge me. I put you in this camp. You put me in this camp. Us, them, good, wicked. Shame enters in and hiding but Jesus creates a different kind of culture he starts with his disciples he starts by teaching them that the last shall be first and the first shall be last when they are arguing among themselves about who is the greatest when they are jockeying for position when they are judging one another i'm sure you know there was that same judging culture but when that was going on Jesus taught them the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Jesus taught them that the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus taught them that to be forgiven much is to love much. The one who's forgiven much will love much. So there's this reversal of that judgment culture. Rather than judging one another, it's, you know what? I've been forgiven of a lot. You've been forgiven of a lot. Jesus taught his disciples uh, to invite people to the table who've been cast out. Jesus modeled that for him. Jesus created a culture where sinners became saints. He created a culture where people who would have naturally been enemies, a zealot and a tax collector, became family members in the same culture, same group, because they have been forgiven because they are part of a new kind of society. The last thing that I want to point out from this passage in chapter 3 is that God calls out to the human beings, where are you? I love this uh, question because it's so, it's so counterintuitive, right? Of course, God knows everything, right? So why does God call out to them, where are you? Well, Some missiologists use this as the kind of the starting point of the Missio Dei. Missio Dei is this Latin phrase that means the mission of God. I love this phrase because it puts in perspective our role. God is the first missionary. God is the first one that seeks us out. When we are in a fallen culture, when we are in a broken system, when Shalom is disrupted in our lives, when we are not rightly related to one another, when we are not rightly related to God, God is the first one who seeks us out. Where are you, he says. Why are you hiding? Why are you ashamed? Why are you judging one another? God is the first missionary. And so this puts in perspective our role. We are called to join God in God's mission. I like that language. We are not called to bring God to people. We are not called to be the first ones uh, on the scene, sort of like first responders. God is the first responder. God is the one that was there first. And uh, this is very important when we get into later on in this in this series when we get into uh, sort of the teaching about colonialism, when we start talking about the ways in which cultures have oppressed other cultures, and ways in which we have participated in that. Um, so we're going to talk about how Western cultures have have dominated and have uh, colonized other cultures. So this Missio Dei language of God being the first missionary reminds us that God was there first. Here's what Dr. Ra says, Dr. Sunchan Ra says in many colors. He says, When we consider the work of God throughout human history, we need to acknowledge the, that God's plan of redemption has been at work before the church even existed. And He is present in different places, even before Western missionaries show up. That's good news. The approach of Missio Dei, therefore, means that there is a sensitivity and awareness of the pre-existing work of God in culture. That's good stuff. In God, If God has been at work, then His work in the world precedes any human work. That is good news. God seeks us first. God is there first, present at work in the many uh, beautiful expressions of culture all around the world. So, to recap, we've been talking about how culture influences us, the water that we swim in, seeing the water for what it And is. We've talked about how God has commissioned us, given us this blessing called the uh, image of God, to be stewards of creation, to be as representatives, to create culture. This is called the cultural mandate. We talked about how it's a celebration of the unity and diversity of God's creation. And we talked about how uh, it smashes patriarchy because men and women are together called by this image. And we've talked about how it's to create shalom. Shalom is that original intent of God for human culture. And then today, we talked about how human culture begins to go wrong. How human culture begins to get corrupted by the influence of this, what I'm calling, judgment culture. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. When we get our life from that, rather than getting our life from the tree of life, from God himself, we, be, we let judgment enter in. We put ourselves in the place of God. We become the arbiters Of what is good and what is evil and we judge one another us versus them and then what happens when we judge one another when we create judging cultures is shame enters in and when shame enters in blame enters in and hiding we hide from one another but Jesus creates a different kind of culture Jesus creates a love culture Jesus recreates Shalom He recreates right-relatedness between people and between people and God. And he does this uh, through his own life, his own work, his own person, through his ministry of healing and teaching, his ministry of proclaiming the kingdom of God and demonstrating the kingdom of God. And ultimately, he does it through the cross and the resurrection. So, hopefully, uh, you will um, take something to heart from this from this uh, teaching on culture and the way culture corrupts, uh, I hope that you will be more aware of the way in which we all eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We all, uh, this is our story. This is the human story. We become a part of judging cultures. But Jesus calls us into this new culture, a loving culture. All right, uh, let's pray. God, we thank you for um, your kingdom, your kingdom, we thank you for Jesus bringing the kingdom we thank you for the way in which your Holy Spirit is at work in and through all of us even before uh, any church existed that your Holy Spirit is at work in and through all human cultures even before uh, Western missionaries arrived Um, God we thank you for the way in which you're at work in our hearts in our lives we pray that you would help us to recognize the ways in which shalom is broken, um, the right relatedness that you intend for all people is broken in our lives. Help us to see the water that we're swimming in. Help us to see the ways in which judgment has crept in, um, where we've eaten from the, f- the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've divided among ourselves between uh, us and them. and We've allowed shame to enter in, and we've hid from one another the hiding God, I pray that you would deliver us from the shame and blame culture, deliver us from the hiding from one another, and bring us into your kingdom where there is grace, where there is love, where there is community, where we can forgive one another, where we can uh, celebrate the unity and diversity of your body, where we can smash patriarchy, where we can destroy racism, where we can tear down, dismantle white supremacy. God, I pray that you would help us to see the water we're swimming in so that we can uh, be a part of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I also want to invite you uh, on Wednesday. um, Wednesday we're going to begin a book study of a wonderful book called Disunity in Christ by Christina Cleveland. Uncovering the hidden forces that keep us apart. Dr. Christina Cleveland uh, is a social psychologist and uh, she's worked with many, many churches uh, talking about culture, talking about, uh, talking about diversity and unity. And uh, so Wednesday at my place, starting this week, we're gonna begin with uh, chapter one, right Christian, wrong Christian. That's a good topic, right? Right Christian, wrong Christian. In this day and age with our judgmental culture,